This is our third Sunday of Advent. Who can tell me what on the previous two Sundays, any one of the previous two Sundays, what one of the candles represented? Ellie, you had your hand up first. What was one of them? Hope. 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 Very good. Who can tell me what hope means? Josiah? Yes, believe in. And I think what we really want to understand about the hope that is described in the Bible is it's a confident expectation. It's not hope in the sense of like something we wish for, but maybe it won't happen. When God talks about the hope that belongs to us in Jesus, he invites us to think about that as a confident thing, something that's definitely going to happen. So yeah, let's light that first candle of hope. Yeah. Now, who can tell me what was the candle from last week? Charlie. I'm pretty sure it was peace. Peace. That's right. That's right. You are pretty sure and you are correct. You had a confidence about that answer. That's good. So it was peace. But are we, when we describe at Christmas time the peace that was declared over Bethlehem, that's peace between who? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Always a safe answer. <laughs> Very good. That's actually true. It, what we're talking about at peace is a peace between human beings and God. Because God is holy and we're sinners. Is everyone a sinner? Yes. Yes. That's, he said that like he was happy about it. <laughs> but Josiah, very true. Very good answer. Yes. Even your pastor? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah there, was no, there was no delay in that answer. That's good. Yeah, all of us, guys, it, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we really are excited to learn that at Christmas, Jesus came that we can have peace with God. That's amazing. Now, this Sunday, we're going to light a third candle. And that is the candle of, does anybody know? Clara thinks she knows. What do you think? Um, is that the correct answer? No. <laughs> the candle of um. The candle of um. No? Okay, Charlie, what do you think? The candle of kindness. Candle of kindness. Good guess, but no. I'll just, I'll cut to the chase. All right, Clara, I'll give you one more chance. Joy, you nailed it. Clara, high five. Well done. I thought we already did joy. No, we didn't. No. Yeah, that's right. Okay, settle down. <laughs> now, when, now, when, now, Christmas for me, guys, has always been a time of incredible joy. Incredible joy. But what I want you to know about joy that the angels... Uh, Miss Chelsea just read a second, or just said a second ago from Scripture, that they proclaimed good news of great joy. And what I want you to know about this joy that was given to us at Christmas and that we're celebrating together is that it is a joy that is indestructible. What does that word mean? What do you think, Ellie? Can't Can't be broken. Never goes away. That's right. Guys, everything else we find joy in at Christmas time? Presents. Presents, 100%. The fun times together, no. the people. Guys, every present I got as a child, I don't have anymore. It broke, it got thrown away, 
it wore out, it's done. But I want you to know this, that the joy that was given to us at Christmas is unstoppable, indestructible, and unending. Now, Josiah, in just a second when I tell you to, I'm going to ask you to read that verse. And Braden, Isaac, are either of you guys good readers? I don't know your Tell me your name. Uh, Kirsten. Kirsten, are you a good reader? Uh, Yeah, you can read that? Okay. (laughs) That's a good guess. Okay. All right. That was awesome. Thank you for your willingness, though. That's really good. Okay. So when I tell you to, now it's a big hall. I need you to, like, read loudly with confidence. Josiah, face face our friends out here and read that verse. Well, don't yell, but yeah. Go ahead. Read it. The path of life. And let, me, and let your presence there be in fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. Awesome. Isaac, come here. Go ahead and read it. Josh 15, 11. These things I have, I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Perfect. Guys, great job. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I was trying to light the wrong end of that candle. That was going to end in disaster. Uh, Josiah, can you hold that candle? And then it is Isaac, right? Am I getting that correct? Okay. Isaac, here, take this candle and light it off of Josiah's candle. There. Now we can put that right back over here. Good job. Okay. Guys, let me pray, and then you guys can head on down to junior church. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for joy unending, joy unstoppable, and joy that is unbreakable. Father, what you have given to us will endure. And God, you have done great things for us, and our hearts are filled with joy. We give you thanks for this wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Samuel Clemens, it's a name uh, better known to most of us by the pen name Mark Twain. Uh, He was married to his wife, Olivia, for 34 years before she died in 1904. Four years after Olivia's death, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, wrote a letter to a friend congratulating him on his upcoming wedding. This is what he wrote. Marriage. Yes, it is the supreme felicity of life. I concede it. And it is also the supreme tragedy of life. The deeper the love, the surer the tragedy, and the more disconsolating when it comes. And so I congratulate you, not perfunctorily, not lukewarmly, but with a fervency and fire that no word in the dictionary is strong enough to convey. And in the same breath and with the same depth and sincerity, I grieve for you, not for both of you, and not for the one that shall go first, but for the one that is fated to be left behind, 
For that one, there is no recompense. For that one, no recompense is possible. There are times, thousands of times, when I can expose the half of my mind and conceal the other half. But in the matter of the tragedy of marriage, I feel too deeply for that. And I have to bleed it all out or shut it all in. And so you must consider what I have been through and am passing through and be charitable with me. Make the most of the sunshine. And I hope it will last long, ever so long. Now that was a very honest real and raw thing that Samuel Clemens wrote to a close friend. And some of you can undoubtedly sympathize with his sentiments in a way that is born out of your own personal experience in losing a spouse or some other precious joy-giving person or thing or pursuit. That supreme happiness of life has gone, and now the glory has departed and all of life lacks flavor. No, that's not even quite right, is it? More than just lacking flavor, there is left the bitterness of this life in the absence of that thing which gave you such, as Clemens put, supreme felicity. The deeper the love, the surer the tragedy, he wrote. And in the final analysis, his advice and his hopes for his friend boils down in kind of a dark and unsatisfying way, I think, to this. I hope you have a good long run before the darkness inevitably closes in and all of your joy turns to tragedy. Brothers and sisters, Is that the way of it? Must it always be so? Make the most of the sunshine, people, and I hope it lasts a long time for you. The answer is no. No. The angels appeared to the shepherds proclaiming good news of great joy. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, says the Gospel of John. And although in this world we will have trouble, says Jesus, we take heart because he has overcome the world. And Jesus, did he not say to us in John 16, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The good news of Christmas is this. Joy is rising and growing. It is rising and growing toward a coming crescendo, and it is not fizzling out into a cold, empty silence. It is coming in like the tide. It is unstoppable. It is indestructible, unbreakable, and it is growing into its fullness because it was born at Christmas. This morning on the third Sunday of Advent, I draw your attention to this word joy. 
This is one of those world-changing kind of words when it's understood in the context of Christmas. And the word joy appears all over the Christmas story. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She had been told by the angel that her cousin also was miraculously pregnant, pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth told her, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. When an angel of the Lord appeared to certain shepherds, of course, watching their flocks by night to announce the birth of Jesus to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in Matthew 2.10, we read about the wise men, that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Joy, 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 joy. The response from people to the arrival, the coming into the world of Jesus was joy. And my hope this morning is to share share some truths with you about the joy that was born at Christmas And that belongs to all who have received the good news of great joy that the angels proclaimed. That that belongs to you. To demonstrate the superiority of the joy, of that joy, to all lesser joys that human beings attach to temporary earthbound blessings, consider with me just two passages. If you're a note taker, the two passages we're going to be looking at are Psalm 16, 5 through 11, and Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. Now, these are not traditional Christmas passages, but in, when combined with the joy that we see in the Christmas story, I hope to make something very clear to us this morning. I'm going to read them both, and then we'll circle back and show you what I think is essential here for us to see this morning. The first is Psalm 16, 5 through 11. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then Hebrews 10, 32 through 34 But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In Psalm 16, the psalmist, who in this case is King David, writes, My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. 
And then he adds, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now Samuel Clemens would say that such a high-flying joy as David is describing here is dangerous. The greater, such a, the greater the heights of joy, the surer the coming tragedy. It must inevitably crash back down to earth when it is interrupted by some tragic reversal or by death. But look at the last line of verse 11. There is that word forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in verses 8 through 10, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the grave. It is a forevermore kind of joy that even death cannot interrupt. And don't fly past that description of what is found in the presence of God. Fullness of joy. Fullness. Now, to be sure, there is an abundance of joy to be found in many things that we experience in life. And I just look back over my life, and I don't know why God has been so kind to me. I have known so many joyous things. Absolutely amazing blessings have been poured out on me. I don't know why. I have experienced a lot of joy, but I have never experienced fullness of joy in any of those things. A joy unmingled with sadness or worry or jealousy or the fear that it will break and come to an end. However, in the presence of God, which was made possible on Christmas when Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, came to us, there is fullness of joy. And guys, it is forevermore. What this passage describes is a delight in the person of God and his promises that is surpassingly excellent, and it is a delight that is enduring and eternal. We see this same pairing of surpassing excellent goodness in the gift and the eternal enduring of that thing in the person who gave it in Hebrews 10, when it says this, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Who among us doesn't want better and longer lasting? We all do. Everything you're chasing after, you want what's better and you want what's longer lasting. And these folks said they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians who were suffering incredible persecution, even to the point that their property, their businesses, their homes were being seized. And they joyfully accepted that because they knew They had a better possession and an abiding one. Better and abiding. Fullness of joy forevermore. So a Christian's Christmas is ultimately about something better and longer lasting than what the world experiences and celebrates. 
Jesus came into the world for the sole purpose of purchasing for us on the cross at the immeasurable expense of his blood and holiness, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, a better and an abiding possession. And these things are yours in Jesus. However, if your hopes and your heart's passions and your pursuits are all wrapped up in the things of this world, then Samuel Clemens' words are not only bleak and dark and depressing, but guys, they are also true. That's the stark reality. If this Christmas, your hopes and your passions and your pursuits are are all wrapped up in things that have their beginning and their end in these days under the sun, what Samuel Clemens wrote to his friend is horrifyingly true. Tragically, hardworking people will be separated from the fruit of their labor. One spouse will die before another. Dreams will be broken. Pursuits will end up being empty when you arrive at the end of them. Whatever you love will leave you or you will leave it. The greater the joy, the surer the coming tragedy if your joy is wrapped up in the things of this world. We begin to understand that those words that we gave thought to during our recent study through the book of Colossians are an appeal from God to fight for your joy, a joy that is indestructible. God calling out to us through the words of Colossians was saying, fight for your joy when he said this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Don't invest your heart down here. It's going to crash, and you'll be left joyless. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. How joyous. How unbreakably, unstoppably joyous. If your treasure is laid up where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, I can say with absolute certainty that the greater the love, the surer the coming tragedy for you. For you, there is no recompense. No recompense is possible. Very true, Mr. Clemens. Sadly, very true. And after saying you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
Now, there's a lot we could say about Christmas joy, and in fact, this is the third Sunday morning since I've arrived at State Road that we've devoted to the topic of Christmas joy. Uh, If you're interested in pursuing the subject further, um, back in December 20th, 2020, you can go back on the website, we talked about some joy thieves. You might want to dig deeper into that. That was a sermon entitled Surprised by Joy, again, December 20th, 2020. And back in 2019, there was a sermon called Christmas's Future, and there we talked about joy as well. There's a lot more that could be said here, guys. But what I really want is this um, for you, my friends, is if there is one here this morning who has not yet put their trust in Jesus for salvation. Uh, My heart breaks because the very summit of your joy is wrapped up in whatever you can get here now. This is it. Make the most of the sunshine. I hope you have a good long run. Because whatever you delight in now, there is a coming day of tragedy. That's the, that's the best the world can say, is I hope you have a good long run with those things. But when the angels appeared to the shepherds and proclaimed good news of great joy... They were talking about a fullness of joy, which for those who have put their trust in Jesus is yet to come, and it is eternal and everlasting. Because we are living in the midst of a place that is so unsafe and so unworthy to attach your hopes to. You know, we all just kind of blithely, well, maybe, maybe I'm speaking too broadly there. Maybe some of you are crushed by the awareness of how broken it all is around here, and you're not blithe at all. I tend to just shove it down. I don't even want to think about it. But every once in a while, something will happen to me or to somebody I love, and it pulls back the curtain and reveals this world for what it is. And then Christmas becomes so precious because I see that Jesus' coming into the world was the beginning of this rescue mission. Jesus came into the world that we might be delivered out of it. He came into this place to give us something enduring and permanent and excellent, something better and abiding. And it breaks my heart that I am so often led astray with affections for things that are less and temporary. And I just pour my passions and my times into them. And some people live their whole lives in the pursuit of less and temporary. And maybe this morning is the appointed hour for you to be confronted with the excellence of what's on offer in Jesus. Better and abiding can be yours this morning. What a gift to receive this Christmas. Pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore. Now where I must begin, if I am to give you this gift, is I must bring you to a dark reality, which is this. Before there can be good news, there must first be bad news. And friend, this morning, if you have not put your trust in Jesus for salvation... You are far off. You are, according to the language of the Bible, dead in your trespasses and sins. 
Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that might be true of someone listening right now, either here or online or on the radio, I don't know. And what I want you to know is that although you are far off and you are a sinner and you have fallen short of the glory of God, nothing in your past disqualifies you from the gift that God wants to give you. The God, the the, the free gift of God is something that's given because he is good, not because you deserve it. And in fact, you don't deserve it. None of us do. That's That's a glorious truth. Romans 6.23 says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but God doesn't want to give you that. He wants to give you a gift. And you can take possession of that right now. There is nothing that disqualifies you from receiving that gift. Romans 5.8 says that the love of God is this, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That can be yours. Romans 10 says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. And that's you this morning. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus for salvation, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. But I will just tell you this. If you pray this prayer with me, right there where you're sitting, you can pass from death into life. You can become a child of God this very morning and receive that free gift of salvation. The only thing I ask is you not keep it a secret. (laughs) Tell me. Tell me. I would love to know you'd make my, my Christmas if you told me. And I could talk to you about maybe what are some next steps for you as a new follower of Jesus. Let me pray that prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, it's Christmas time. It's a time of gift giving. And God, we know because your scripture says, your Bible says, and it is all true. You only speak the truth, God. That Jesus came into the world and he lived a perfectly sinful, sinless life. Perfectly sinless life, God. He never broke any of your laws. He put on flesh and he wore that body of flesh all the way to the cross. That he allowed himself to be killed in that way. And there, God, all of your wrath was poured out on him who was sinless. And he who knew no sin became sin in our place. Onto him was poured out the punishment that we all deserved. God, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is our substitute. He took our place there. And now, God, in an incredible gift exchange, he took all our sin and he, gave, he stands ready to give anyone who would put their trust in him his perfect righteousness. God, what an amazing gift. And Father, right now, perhaps listening to these words either here in the hall or on the internet or out driving in their car, listening on the radio, I don't know. There may be one, God, who has never accepted for themselves this free gift of salvation. 
And Father, right now, they might just say this, Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Father, I know that my sin has made me fall short of what's required to be saved. But God, amazingly, you have offered us this free gift made possible through what Jesus did when he came into the world at Christmas. God, this is good news of great joy, and I, I grab it. I claim it as mine. Thank you for sending a Savior into the world. God, I want to lay hold of a joy that is indestructible. Everything I've been pouring my passions into is temporary and less than what you are offering. And God, you've opened my eyes to see it. And so, Father, I yes, I receive that free gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of that for me, for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I accept the free gift. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if that was you, please don't keep it to yourself. I would love to hear it. Uh, I'm, I'm always hesitant to tell this story for fear. I tell this every Christmas, and I think people will just brand me as being overly repetitious. <laughs> I just want to finish with this story because it was eye-openingly precious for me, and I think about it a lot. If you've heard this story, you can just take a nap, but <laughs> some of you might be new. When Sarah and I were first married, uh, we lived in a town called St. Albans, Vermont, and um, we only had one car, and Sarah was working at a pharmacy, and I was working at a police department at the time, and the police department was a little over a mile from the apartment we were renting. And so I let her take the car into work, and I would walk because I'm a man, <laughs> right? I don't know. Chivalry. It's not dead. I was like, I guess if one of us has to walk, it ought to be me. And I remember my shift usually started at like 5.30, and I would leave our apartment, and I'd walk my way down through the center of town. And my walk took me past an industrial park where there was a Barry Calibo chocolate factory. And when I would walk past, early, early, early in the morning, they were just beginning production for the day. And coming up out of those stacks on the Barry Calibo chocolate works was this smell. Guys, unbelievable, this smell. I think I got fatter from breathing. <laughs> it, was, it was so rich. It was like I was walking in flavored air. That rich, deep cocoa smell just settled like a fog over the whole south end of town, and it was unbelievable. And I would walk through that cocoa haze, just enjoying it. And I'd get to work, and I'd get into my uniform, and I'd jump in my cruiser, and when I hit the road, guess what I did? I went straight to a store <laughs> to buy some chocolate. 
Because guys, as good as chocolate is in the nose, it's better in the mouth. As rich and joyous as the smell of that chocolate was, it was way better when I bit into it in its fullness. Now at Christmas, guys, at Christmas time, if I squint my spirit, I can almost taste heaven coming. Guys, this is a merry time of year. There's fun times of worship, there's gatherings, there's lights, there's a close togetherness as far-flung loved ones are gathered home. I love this time of year when you see lights turn on in the neighbor's houses that the rest of the year are dark because somebody's home and that extra room needs to be lit up. I love the times of feasting. I love all of it. And guys, Christmas, along with all of the other high water marks of earthly joy, and I'm talking about sex and romance, I'm talking about delicious foods, I'm talking about vacations and amazing scenery, and yes, I'm talking about Christmas. All high water marks of earthly joy, all of it is just heaven on the breeze. But there is a day coming when Jesus returns and we are going to taste these things in their fullness. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, not the smell of it that we get in this fallen world. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that is yours. That is yours, and it is coming. It is unstoppable. It's growing and rising. Even now, we're approaching the day when that bursts into glorious presence among us. But if you are not, the summit of your joy will only ever be the smell of heaven in the shadowy joys of this fallen world. That's the summit. That's the height. Make the most of the sunshine. And I hope it lasts long for you. But there is a coming day of tragedy if you have not put your trust in Jesus. That's the Christmas message for joy, I think. And I hope it belongs to everyone who hears this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you have helped us to see in this world many good things. We have tasted joy. We have experienced a sense of heaven on the breeze. And Father, all these things make us long in our spirit for something fuller, better, abiding. God, I can't wait to sink my teeth into the reality of those pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Father, you have helped us, even in our fallen imaginations, to grasp at a great distance something fuller, 
like the difference between chocolate in the nose and chocolate in the mouth. And Father, we look forward to that day and we celebrate it with joy even now in the midst of this Christmas season because for you, your promises are the same as performance. You never break a promise. And they are ours by promise. They are already, but not yet. And we look forward to the day when all that we believe by faith will be sight. Father, for now, I pray that you would, as it says in Hebrews, cause us not to throw away our confidence, which has a great reward. For we have need of endurance, so that when we have done the will of God, we will receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. In Jesus' name, amen.